Hey everyone, this is Pete Perusik, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway to set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around and hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective of how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Today I'm honored to be joined by Dave Hasse from mile number 12. Since we completed our interview last month, Dave added to his already impressive race resume. On September 18th to the 20th, he completed the Silver State 508. He completed the event in 32 hours, 49 minutes, and 48 seconds, which was four hours ahead of the first place female and seven hours ahead of the second place male. Uh, pretty impressive. He is a five-time solo finisher at Ram, which is a 3,000-mile cycling race across America. In 2015, he finished the race in under nine days and finished in second place. We spend time talking about how he started into ultra events, how he manages to fit in training as the owner of a bike specialty store, his experiences over the years at Ram, and how his connection with IBM and the use of technology allows him to be more efficiently manage his race environment and his medical condition as he races. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Dave. Hey, hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking some time, at least, so we can talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been doing. I don't know if you uh, happen to take a look at, you know, what I've done. I started this podcast and my focus is on, I'm a physical therapist and also a, uh, just did my first Ironman last year when I turned 50. So I'm just starting to work my way into the ultra events. I have some friends in the ultra running community that keep pushing me, you know how it is. <laughs> yep. 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 And runners are, uh, runners are challenging. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I actually have a good friend of mine. She's done Ram twice now. Okay. But she did it as part of a uh, four team. Uh, all right. Awesome. So pretty amazing doing it as a solo. I'm impressed. So I need to definitely talk to you about how you did that. Sure. Sure. Um, so how long have you been doing ultra events? Um, you know, I started, um, in about 2002, 2003 doing ultra events. Um, and it, it kind of happened uh, with a friend just saying, hey, you should go do this 100-mile race. And I went and did it and did pretty well. And then I went and did a 24-hour race after that. So um, and so then – and that was a RAM qualifier. So when I qualified, obviously, then I was like, I better go do RAM. And I did RAM, and then I started having to do other races, right? You can't really <laughs> – that's like jumping way in without a lot of experience, and I suffered. So I started doing other races. and. Found I really like them. So, okay, that's good. Uh, the first one you said was a was a running event, but everything else has pretty much been all uh, bike. Um, I've done I've done a few running events as well. I've done the lead man. Okay. Um, in so you know running and biking, and then um, I've done that twice, and I've done uh, 
Um, I did a run around here called the Frozen Otter. It's a 68 mile trail run in the winter. Um, and uh, so I've done some ultra runs. I, I did a run in um, around the Grand Canyon that maybe three years ago that was uh, just signed up because I couldn't ride from an injury and I went and ran that. So I've, I've done a few runs, but that hurts my the rest of my body too much. And, and I don't train to run. So that makes it really hard to do a run. Okay. Yeah. You're, uh, you own a bike shop. I do own a bike shop. Yes. Okay. But it's also ski as well. What, what types of things yep. do you do there? Yeah, we do bike and ski. Um, uh, so cross country, downhill, snowboard kind of ski equipment. And then in the summer we do bike, um, all styles of bike, mountain bike, road bike, some triathlon business, BMX. And then we also do some skateboard stuff. Um, so, you know, we've done, we do kind of just kind of all of those activities, uh, in the store. We carry all of the hard goods as well as the soft goods related to that. Okay. Where are you located? In Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, so yeah, that's nice that you'd be able to pretty much cover all, all year with stuff. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So what, so what keeps you coming back to these ultra distance events? Cause that seems to be what you're doing the most of. You know, um, so so I've started doing a lot of gravel racing um, a couple of years ago, and I really love doing those. Um, um, and I've had a lot of fun at them, um, and I'm okay at them. But um, like like this year, I signed up to do a bunch of gravel races, and they were all canceled. And the ultra events haven't been canceled, so I just yeah. kind of refocused and signed up for some ultra events, and I uh, have done those uh, this year. Um, but I think the ultra event is um, you know, two things I do fairly well in it. So it's always nice to do well in a race. Yeah. And then, um, I, I find, I just like being out there on the road, riding my bike and, uh, the whole, everything about it. And then it, you know, leads to doing some training and you've got to be very consistent with your training and your planning and your preparation always to do an ultra event. So that's kind of what I think leads me back to them. Okay. Now, how do and you maybe to beat uh, beat a previous time or something like that? Right. Uh, yeah, of course. That's what keeps us coming back. There's all you can always do better. Right. Um, so, how do you do that? Owning a store. How, what time do you have to train? <laughs> That's where it becomes challenging. Um, so I, uh, you know, we're open nine to seven. You know, every day during the week. Um, we're open Saturdays and Sundays, and I generally work most of the time and I'm here most of the time. So my training usually is, uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, well, as a general statement, you know, I get up and start riding about four 30 or five o'clock and ride till nine. Um, and then I'm at the store at 9am. Okay. So, so I do it early in the morning. Um, sometimes if I've got a super long ride, then I just back up and start earlier. So I might, you know, there's times I go out at midnight, Okay. And, and start riding so I can get my 12 hour ride in before I work type okay. of thing. So, so, so I just kind of base it on what rides and things I have, but I'm always usually to the store by, uh, around nine o'clock. Okay. So you're doing pretty much everything on the road. Do you do trainer uh, stuff? Uh, I don't do a lot of trainer riding. Okay. I just don't, I, I no longer like riding on a trainer and, um, Honestly, mentally, I don't enjoy it. There's nothing fun for me riding on a trainer and going out in the morning, ride my bike when it's dark out and, you know, the sun rises, 
that whole concept is just beautiful and awesome. And so I like all of that. Okay. So I, you know, because although I do training and I'm riding all these ultra events or other events, I don't really like to train. I like to go ride my bike, you know? (laughs) So, so it's one of those tricky balances, right? Yeah. Well, you know, so my next question is, you know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I know what winters are like, how do you bike in the winter? Um, you know, so, (laughs) so that's probably when I do back off on my riding a little bit and I ride when it's 25 degrees, maybe. Um, and above and the roads are clear, I'll go out inside and ride. Otherwise, I'll just do a shorter ride on the trainer. Um, oh, okay. Because I can't spend as much time on the trainer. If I have a long ride to do on the trainer, then I'll kind of find a group of people that are doing some indoor training on a trainer and maybe go ride with them. Or, or But I but I tend to back my riding off uh, in the winter a little bit just because I can't, yeah. can't handle sitting on a trainer that long anymore. I used to do some long rides on the trainer, but it just doesn't work anymore. No, it's not fun. It, it's definitely a challenge. You can only watch so many movies or so many uh, uh, sporting events. You know, it's it's difficult. After you get to push two hours, it's like, get me off of this thing. Yeah. So in the winter, I try to do shorter rides, but a little more intensity Yeah. Um, in the winter. So I'm doing an hour, you know, harder or an hour and a half harder efforts than I would normally in the summertime or spring. Okay. So. Okay. That's cool. So how many times have you done RAM? Uh, seven okay. times I've finished five Rams and have, uh, seven, seven attempts. Okay. Yeah. And you finished twice or, or second twice, right? Second, twice, uh, third and two fourths. Okay. That's good. I'll, you... Always the top American finisher. Awesome. That is great. Yeah. I happened to, um, come across your found in America that, uh, documentary they did on you. I probably saw it beginning of the summer, um, which was very cool. So yeah, they kind of documented everything uh, last year. Yep. Yep. And in that race, I, I did end up not finishing the race. So, um, you know, but that, that's the way some races go, right? Yeah, it is. So, and so basically, did you find yourself on that ride? Pardon? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I found it's impossible to find yourself, right? You're looking and looking. You just don't really find yourself. Yeah. Maybe maybe you need to create yourself. I don't know. <laughs> Finding yourself, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't working. Yeah. So what it was your shoulder, right? Yeah. Um I yeah, my shoulder gave out. I had two crashes the previous two years um that really punished my body and beat my body up and um um, I just couldn't hold my um, right arm up, which was uh, then making me sit crooked on the bike, which created saddle sores and other issues. And mentally, I was just not into the race either. I was I, I struggled probably from the start of the race. I just felt like I was struggling the whole time. I made it 2000 miles, was in second place when I dropped out. But definitely, I, I wouldn't have been able to. I, I mean, I maybe could have finished, but I was I didn't feel safe on the road the way I was riding. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to have another crash and, you know, then you're, then you're out for even a longer period of time. It's not worth it. You, you made the right call. Yeah. Thanks. thanks. Yeah. It, it's difficult. I, I'm sure it is, but you know, again, a broken leg is not, not where you want to be. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so my question is funny. I, I was, as they're sitting here waiting for this, come on, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook. So I need to ask you, it says researchers look at why perception of time is altered during exercise. 
So my question is, your nine hours, 23, your nine days, 23 hours and 28 minutes, does it seem any shorter? Is that still, that's still a long time. It's a, that's a long time. It is, it is, you know, and the last, uh, 23 hours of that are a really long time, you know? So, um, now it's, it, that's a long time, uh, when you're doing an effort like Ram, because you are, you're, you're always moving. You don't sleep hardly at all. Okay. And, uh, and you're still pushing, pushing as hard as you can push. And not only you, but your whole crew, that's along. So that, that, you know, that's fast, but that's also a long time time. <laughs> yeah. So how much sleep are you actually getting? Do you sleep every night? Uh, you know, uh, in, in the Rams that I've done, um, I've always wanted to ride, you know, for like 36 hours and then sleep for two hours. So as a general statement, I haven't quite made that yet, you know, okay. so I end up getting, falling asleep a little bit, uh, sooner than that, but I tend to, I tend to be off my bike for, two hours every 24 hour period. Um, but I try to get like, I I've been able to ride like 32 hours before my first sleep. So as a general statement, once I take that first sleep, then we will ride about 24 hours a day and then be off my bike for two hours. Okay. Um, total. So that's like getting off the bike, taking your clothes off, taking care of any saddle sores, eating, and then sleeping. So my ten, my sleep time of that two hours is about an hour and thirty seven minutes. Oh, okay, yeah, because you're 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 not sleeping at every every stop. You're just you know refueling and working your way, and because you yep. you stop at the time stations or just go through the time stations. No, no, seldom stop at the time stations. Oh, okay, yep. we just keep keep rolling. Never oh. never really stop at those. Okay, and then you're having um, somebody has to follow you pretty much the whole race, right? Yeah, I have a, a crew with me, a team of, um, and it's and it's varied. I've had as little as um, seven people. That's not enough. Yeah. And I've had as many as 13 people, and that's too many. Okay. Um, so we we have used, um, for the last three races I've done, I've had, um, uh, we have used an RV a few times, and I'm not a fan of the RV, but yeah. that's mostly for the crew. Um, but we have used three vehicles, um, and that tends to work pretty well because we have had a vehicle break down and then you, you, then you can use another vehicle. So two vehicles are pretty close to me during the race. And then one is up the road with crew members, hopefully at a motel sleeping in, okay. in the ideal scenario. Yeah. Cause they're, they're sleeping and rotating. So, you know, they are, they are. Yeah. I run three crew members in my follow vehicle. Yeah. So a driver, a navigator, and then a, a feeder um, who generally in my crew has been a nurse or has that form of training um, okay. because they're just good at documenting things and they are taking my vitals and doing some stuff. And if I need an IV, they give me an IV, which doesn't happen too often, yeah. but they're just very organized uh, with nutrition. Okay. Yeah. One of the thing I thought was really cool um, was that basically the internet of Dave with all the stuff they are monitoring. Um, how many years have you had that? Um, uh, we, we started that in 2015. I've used it for three races. Um, it came about, my friend works at IBM, um, at the time. And I, and I said, Hey, IBM has a lot of money. Maybe you can sponsor me. <laughs> and he said, uh, I don't think we can do that. And he developed this idea of internet of Dave. And that's when all of the internet of things, 
uh, were coming into play, right? You're putting all of these devices on different things to monitor. So like your washing machine can connect and tell you when it's going to be fixed or when it needs service. And so we created this basically living, breathing Internet of Dave where I have devices on me um, to help improve my performance. So it measured my heart rate, my breathing rate, um, core body temperature. I would swallow a pill that would then take my core temperature so we could monitor core temperature. Um, we had weather data. All of that information was collected, gathered, sent to the cloud, and then came back down to a dashboard in my crew vehicle. And they could monitor wind and weather conditions. And then that was put together with high-speed analytics yeah. so that the real reason was we could determine based on wind and weather and my performance when the best time to sleep would be based on all of those conditions. Okay. So if we were going to sleep for that time, you know, we could plug in, let's say, six hours down the road or 24 hours down the road and when the weather conditions would make it optimal to sleep based on the wind so that we had the best wind and weather conditions that we would be facing on the course to give us an advantage. That's amazing. Um, the, the technology and then just going out there and just doing it and winging it as you're going. Um, does anybody else do that? No, they, they don't. Some have tried little things, but, um, we probably have used the most, uh, devices and the most things for me, core body temperature became the key because I yeah. do str struggle in the heat. Um, it allowed my crew to know exactly what my core temperature was. And then they would apply ice to me and, um, you know, do different things to keep my body cool, um, you know, and, and monitor that part of it. Um, and we could see my power drop as soon as my core temperature went above 102. So yeah. keeping my body cool, but then it also helped us with weather and using the weather data from the weather company, um, we would know um, where along the course we may be expecting rain and when's the best time to sleep. So like in Kansas one time, we were right in the middle of a, a lightning storm and it was happening right there, but it wasn't raining. And we decided based on the wind and weather, um, we would be sleeping at the next time station. And as soon as I got off my bike, it started downpouring huge wind storms. Yeah. And I was sleeping while this storm happened. I woke up and there was no storm anymore. So, so those, you know, and I only slept an hour and a half. So it saved us. It made us sleep at the right time. And then I didn't have to ride in that bad weather conditions. That's awesome. So how often do you have to swallow that pill? Because obviously it's not staying in your stomach the whole time. No, it passes <laughs> uh, at certain times. Um, so I, I most of the time I, I probably use that uh, pill like five times within the the full race. You okay. know? So it would stay in for a little bit. Um, obviously doing a race like that, you're not going number two as often yeah. as you, you know. So, so when I would do that, you know, it would be uh, – basically at that time, that's when we would have to add, put a new pill in. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's not hot the whole way across the country, is it? No, we really focused our monitoring in the Sonoran desert. So yeah. uh, California through Arizona. Um, and then, um, you know, a little bit, um, into Utah when we're in Monument Valley and then through Kansas, definitely it can get warm and humid. So it's a little different type of hot, but it still can be an issue. So we monitored it through uh, that area as well. Those were our, our biggest points of monitoring, but mostly getting through through the desert and uh, and into Colorado was our biggest key. 
That's awesome. I, I, th I thought that was such a coolest thing, you know. Now, any disadvantages? Because, you know, we all can be slave to the data and you, you look at, at it and constantly looking at Garmin, constantly looking at Strava and everything else. Were there any downsides you saw to having all that? Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest downside is all of those need to be charged. <laughs> um, and so we have multiple devices. Some of the battery lives, you know, were eight hours. So then they'd have to change a device. And we had a system where we would change all of the devices to keep it simple because they're all connected through Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it made it a little easier, but so we did have to change those devices. Um, and that was a little challenging. And then, um, the other part of it was, uh, it was working through an Android app on our phone. So we had to have cell phone connectivity and, uh, going across the country in remote areas, that was a challenge as well. So there were times we didn't have cell phone connection. Um, so some of the information wasn't as accurate as it, it could have been, okay. um, but, but, but mostly the time it took to keep the devices operating. And it really took one crew member, basically one crew member served almost his full-time duty was charging devices and computers and, and lights and all of that. So it, it, it's a little bit of a detriment as well as, you know, a, an improvement to our performance. Okay. Now, are you required to have uh, medical personnel with, with every team? No, you, you don't have to. Okay. Um, so um, I, I suffered the first ram I did. I really sick. My basically ended up checking into a hospital in West Virginia. My kidneys um, were about to shut down. Um, and we didn't know anything about nutrition, hydration or anything. You know, it was like my first time experience did not go really well. Um, and so the next year I just got a nursing student to come along and we saw vast improvements and then we just built upon it. And it was, I was able to then get some IVs when we needed, okay. but really they were able to monitor my, my, um, my heart rate and my weight and my blood pressure and check all of that when we would stop. So it, it became very important. And I think it's definitely vital to have someone with skills like that on the team so that you can you know, it's not so much if you're trying to finish in 12 days, Yeah. you know, it's when you try to push to get under nine days, that's when everything happens negatively. Yeah. Well, it's, it's wise because again, so many things can go wrong. So it's better to have somebody who's, that's their main focus is to one, keep you healthy and make sure that you are safe. Um, because, uh, you don't always make the right decisions, especially when you're the one doing it and you're going to, you're going to push, um, because really the the average person out there is hearing that and saying, well, why would you go back the next year if you ended up in the hospital and you end up with all this stuff going on? Um, so what do you have to say to that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's still the challenge, right? Yep. It, it wasn't the performance you wanted. So you're going back to do it and you're, you're getting smarter. I learned a lot about nutrition, my own body. Um, so I've monitored that and have made improvements every, every time. And we keep trying to make little improvements that give you just that little extra advantage in, in the race. So, you know, I've kind of got my nutrition and food dialed in where the first time I went and did it, I yeah. basically did what I saw someone do. And I ate Snickers bars <laughs> and, you know, sugar and, yeah. you know, Red Bulls and monsters and to keep me awake. And yeah, that didn't <laughs> go so well. So um, we've improved our performance. And so improvement is one of the main things that, you know, every time that seems to bring me back is how can we improve upon what we didn't do as well so that we can go faster? 
Yeah, that's great. So I, I've seen a couple times saying that whatever the last Ram was going to be your last and you're not doing it. Are you planning on doing it again, do you think? Uh, I'm working towards a 2021 uh, version of Ram. So, okay. yeah, I, you know, it's uh, part of it is just life in general, right? Um, yeah. you, what you got going on in your own life, it's a huge commitment, not only for you, but you got a crew of 10 people that are making a commitment to you and yeah. in their own lives. So that's always a little bit challenging. And being a small business owner, I'm going to take three weeks away from work, yeah. plus all of the other things that go with that. So, um, you know, when you when you say you're not going to do it, you know, it's it's like I've got to take care of all this other stuff. Um, yeah. But then you there's reasons to push towards going back. Yeah. Um, the amount of people who follow when you're doing the race you know, that tends to get you fired up to go do it again when you're standing in a grocery store and someone's telling you, I watched you go across the country and I followed your little dot all the way across <laughs> makes you go, well, all right, maybe, you know, you inspired me to do something. So then that sometimes gets you motivated to go back and do it as well. That's awesome. And so I, I obviously, you know, you're basically going in a tunnel for, for three weeks. So as far as like the business and everything else, cause obviously they're not calling you to say, Hey Dave, what do you think about this? So obviously you have to trust the fact that they're just going to basically handle everything and it's going to be there when you get back. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They do a great <laughs> job. They, they do a good job. Well, that's awesome because yeah, cause that's the last thing you want to worry about is anything going on. Your focus, your focus is to get across the country and be first. Yep, exactly. Yep. And even, even in that smallest part, really my focus is riding my bike, right? Yeah. And I'm relying on my crew to basically tell me everything to do. And basically all I have to do is pedal my bike and look forward and keep moving. Yeah. So I, I, that's what leads me to that next statement. I loved in uh, Found in America that said, basically, once you're done with the race, you have to start doing things yourself. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. You know, that's the, the, that's not the hardest part, you know, because while you're racing, basically, you know, a car pulls up next to you, hands you a water bottle. My only job is to drink it, right? Yeah. They hand me food. You know, they'll even sometimes ask, like, what do you want to, to eat? And I don't know what's in the follow vehicle. Yeah. You know, we have a small list of choices, um, but I don't even, it's like, just come up and hand me something yeah. and I'll eat it, you know, <laughs> to get my calories in. So, so I don't really do any thinking or anything. I'm just riding my bike and I rely on them. And then, yeah, once that's over, then it's, you know, then it's the whole thing is over. Right. Uh, the crew feels that way even, you know, yeah. so, uh, so it's, um, then, then yeah, you're, you're doing everything back on your, on your own. You have to make decisions yourself now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so typical before COVID, um, so you said basically you would, you would ride to ride to work and obviously you're riding home as well. Um, now has that really changed much because of COVID and how things with the store, um, has that COVID really impacted your store a lot? It has, uh, for us positively, um, the bike business is like booming right now. Right. So we've yeah. been the busiest we've ever been. I've worked just more hours than ever. So like the first two months of COVID, it was, you know, 16 hour days, working, you know, sometimes the door wasn't even open, but we were repairing bikes when it first started. Okay. Now we're open in a different way, but we're selling tons of bikes. Um, um, so what really has changed is, you know, races haven't happened. Yeah. Um, group rides haven't happened. I'm out riding by myself, which I've always done a lot anyway. Yeah. So uh, more of it is just to keep focused on training as opposed to just, you know, going out to ride your bike. Yeah. Um, and so when you're when I'm doing my rides, 
staying focused on on the workout plan that I have. Um, and and so I was the first two months of maybe the first month of COVID, I wasn't working with my coach that I have used because I because I knew things weren't going to be the same. And then I I started because I realized I'm just out there, you know, pedaling and not doing any specific activities, you know. Um, so so that I, I've become a little more focused because of that on my training, even though, um, you know, the races that I'm doing are a little bit, you know, unsure of. Yeah. Yeah. So you working with a coach pretty much year round, is that typical for you? Uh, it, it is when I know I'm doing, going to do Ram Yeah. Or, or if I know there's a few, like I had a big lineup of, uh, some of the best gravel races planned this year, you know, all the well-known gravel races that were out there. And so I was using him to, you know, to perform well in those gravel races. Um, okay. but there are times I will not work with, uh, work with a coach, but I have used the same coach all the time. Okay. Um, since I started using a coach. Okay. So for, you know, so maybe, uh, to, uh, 2014, I started using, um, my coach and, uh, and on and off. Okay. So do you do a lot of strength training or cross training? Um, I, I didn't in the past, but I've realized as I've gotten older, how much more important being stronger is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's made a big difference, right? Cyclists are always worried about their weight. So, but in the winter, I, I, I kind of watch what I eat a little bit because you gain weight as you get older, mm-hmm. a little bit easier. <laughs> But I work harder on strength, knowing that I'm not going to do as much strength training once I'm cycling. And then the past year, I really did a lot of yoga and worked on flexibility because I found that I was still having issues with, even though I was really strong, I wasn't able to use those functional muscles that I've created um, because they were just maybe tighter or, you know, my glute muscles were super tight or my, my hip flexors just were tight. So doing yoga really made my whole complete body strong, especially my core. And that just made me way stronger on the bike. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Cause the, the problem is on the the bike one, the posture for that length of time too. And then, you know, so flexibility and then core strength is also a huge component. Yeah. It allows me to, you know, hold my position on the bike longer and then be stronger when I'm riding. And, and I used to always have issues with my hips and psoas muscles. And then, so I started doing a lot of lateral sidewalks with bands on my ankles and knees to strengthen my whole glute core area. And that's made a huge difference uh, in my, my riding for gravel racing, as well as, you know, endurance racing. I just am stronger on the bike. I can carry a pack in, in in a Voyager type of event if I'm doing it, um, and feel much stronger overall. Okay. That's good. So you said you had what, a couple crashes. Um, and I know we talked about the shoulder briefly, any other kind of injuries you've had, you've had to overcome? Uh, no, those two, you know, specifically yeah. the crash in 2017, um, I broke my collarbone, scapula, a couple ribs, punctured a lung that took a long time to get back from it. And I found it really hard to get back from mentally because yeah. I wasn't able to go ride my bike. So I was doing some walking and, you know, I found myself all of a sudden out walking 12 to 15 miles because I could walk, but it was like, and I don't even really like to walk, (laughs) but that was the only way I could relieve the mental parts of it. And, uh, and I had a lot going on personally in my life at the time. So, so just trying to stay focused. Um, I was doing some of that and listening to podcasts and stuff, but, um, that was a major injury that really made me focus on strength training because I would go to the gym and use this little band 
while guys were, you know, squatting 600 pounds and I'm playing with a tiny little rubber band, you know, grunting and groaning like I was, you know, so it made me realize that strength is super important, but also flexibility then as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ask those people throwing around 600 pounds that they can ride their bike across the United States. <laughs> I, I knew they couldn't. So I was good that way. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're fine with the little bands. I think you're okay. Yeah. Um, so that crash, was it during a race or during it, training? It was, it was yeah. a gravel race in, um, in Idaho and, uh, descending to the finish line. I was actually in a really good place and I was trying to move up a couple spots and finish in the top 10. I was having the best race of my life and yeah. all of my power numbers indicated I was really performing well. And I was descending and hit a rock and blew yeah. my front wheel up and just plowed myself right into the ground. It's the hardest I've ever crashed. Um, and it was the most painful, uh, experience I've, I've had. And, and then we had to, I had to sit in the front seat of my van, uh, and drive home. I was going to fly home, but I had a punctured lung, so I couldn't. Yeah. So I just sat in the front seat of my van until, uh, we got home and then went and saw my, my doctor here and, uh, and surgeon once we got back, but that was really painful and yeah. took a long time. That scapula, my, my collarbone hurt, but the scapula injury was I kind of shattered my scapula. So all of those shoulder muscles and lifting my arm above my head took forever to come back and took like a, a full year to, to recover. And then I crashed again in another race right after that yeah. and kind of the same concept. So, yeah, I haven't done any gravel races, but that seems to be where cyclists, everybody that I've talked to, that have done them. There are definitely some injuries, um, yeah. from them. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're crashing when you do crash, you know, it's color like you're, you're, if someone says, Oh, I broke my collarbone, you're, it's pretty normal thing <laughs> yeah. when you're doing races like that. Cause you're going over the bars and falling hard. So. Yeah. Yeah. But you still go back for more though, right? I do. I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is what the adrenaline of what is it about it that draws you back into it? You know, for in the scene, like gravel racing or crit racing, it's riding in that group and, and powering through and going hard and fast and that all out effort. Yeah. Um, in endurance racing, it's trying, I think the focus of maintaining that pace that you're, you're in. Cause you're, there's a lot of times you're not racing with anyone other than yourself. You know, you're out there an hour ahead of someone, or I just did a race and, um, I ended up winning the whole race by five hours. Um, and I was on my bike for 35 hours, okay. um, but it was focus of keeping my pace and, and the pace I wanted to finish in and trying to stay at that pace the whole time that kind of kept me moving forward. Uh, um, so the mental part of endurance racing is, uh, is really kind of what draws me to it as well. Yeah. So what are you thinking of during, I know during the faster races, you don't have much to think, you're just reacting, but for the long distance, what are you thinking of this whole time? Especially, you know, one mile at a time, you can't be thinking that. Um, so what are, what are you thinking? Yeah. As a, as a general <laughs> statement, I always said, I try not to think about anything yeah. because then I'm focused on, you know, moving forward. When you start thinking, then you're like, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. Why am I out here? I've been, I'm cold, I'm freezing. I've been riding for 24 hours. <laughs> um, so I try, I try not to focus really on anything. I just try to like, you know, breathe and absorb what's going on and know what time I want to finish in and, and where my pace is at and am I on pace, but I don't try to think too broad concept because then, then your mind wanders and, and I lose track. So I, I do a lot of, uh, breathing on the bike and yeah. 
just focusing on moving forward. And that's came about probably as I started to in like 2015 and Ram was my best ever finish. And I did a lot of that while, you know, meditation type of stuff while on the bike. And I learned it during that race that really helped a lot. So. Yeah. So the short goals actually probably, you know, next time station, next, wherever, next town, whatever it is, is probably what gets you through. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You don't want to look at the big picture because that's too far, uh, too big a picture, right? It's just very narrow focused. Okay. And, and, you know, you can think, okay, you're going to go across the country. It'd be great to look at the scenery. How much of the scenery are you actually looking at when you're, are you taking in anything? I, yeah, I do. I do. I take a lot of it in, you know, the one thing I'm really good at riding at night. And I think the reason is it's slightly cooler, but you don't see all of the scenery. So your focus is very concentrated, but uh, during the day, I'm definitely looking at scenery and checking things out and, seeing how beautiful, you know, our country is, or I did a race in, um, uh, the race across the Alps in, in 2007. And, um, that race was in Italy, Austria, and Switzerland. And there the scenery was phenomenal, but you could also like smell the food when you were rolling through the small villages in Italy. So you were taking all of that in. And so the very little things, that's probably been my favorite race just because of that. Yeah. But I do enjoy the scenery, you know, sometimes it's a bummer because it's like, oh, it'd be cool to stop at that coffee shop yeah. in this really cool town in Jerome, Arizona. But I can't. My crew can <laughs> stop there, you know, and I see their car park there, but I'm riding my bike, you yeah. know. So uh, so I've gone back to some of those areas, but that um, away from racing, but that it's just uh, I do enjoy the scenery while I'm out there. That's good. So how about um, you have issues with hallucinations during the rides? For sure. For yeah. sure. And in, in last year in the race, um, I, I always felt like there was someone right next to me running uh, the whole time. So I'd look out of the side of my eye and I felt like someone was right there that I was racing. Like, and I thought it was my uncle who passed away. I thought it was him. It was really weird, like a ghost. Yeah. And then along the side of the road, there were reflective markers on the guardrails. And I kept thinking those were people and I was passing them. So that happens once in a while, you know, when you're up for 20 some hours, um, you start to get that. I try not to get to that state, but yeah. you know, when you're pushing, pushing and you're not doing well and you're struggling with your pace, um, it becomes more challenging. So as far as, um, you know, we talked about, you have all the data and says, okay, you need to stop at this date. Have, have you had your crew have to tell you, Hey Dave, we need to take a break here. Um, even though, because they're seeing you obviously, very tired you're weaving you know becomes a safety risk and it's interesting to see all the videos i've seen there never seems to be any cars other than your pace car following you but i guarantee there's other traffic on the road correct oh yeah for (laughs) for sure there is you know it so it it gets to um a little bit of where you are on the course and what the traffic is like because you know, if you're, if that happens during the day when there's super busy traffic, you know, one time I did have my crew say, if you can't ride a straight line, you know, we're going to pull you off the bike. And we, we stopped and at, and got some gas and food and, and, um, and, um, I had a bunch of energy, uh, caffeine energy bars in the car uh-huh. and, you know, they wouldn't give them to me because, you know, it was probably time to sleep, but I just reached in and grabbed three of them and suddenly, <laughs> I woke up, but we do monitor that because that can affect your hydration. Yeah. But I didn't want to get at that point where we were getting near the finish line. I didn't want to get pulled off the bike. So I 
Yeah. So I quick slam some of those down, but for the most part, I know when I'm too tired to ride Yeah. and I can, and I make those judgments when it becomes unsafe. And when I don't feel like I can hold a straight line or, or I'm starting to weave all over. Um, and, and, and one time in West Virginia, we were really pushing to get to a time station where the crew had set up for me to sleep. And I struggled really hard on that road. And, and I had the other crew vehicle move in. So they worked as a team to keep me moving down the road, but safely moving down the road. So okay. like one, they would get out and cheer me on every, like, gee, it seemed like, you know, every quarter mile, but they were just <laughs> out there to get me to the next time station. So it became, instead of, you know, like we're going 40 miles, it was like, we're going one mile at a time to get to 40 miles. And they yeah. were there to support me through that by just cheering me on and doing whatever they could to get me to that time station. And at that point it was like, you know, two in the morning in the middle of nowhere trying to do that out in, in West Virginia. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Having the, the, the group with you to do that stuff. There's no restrictions. Yeah, there is. There is no restriction. Okay. That's kind of where the crew realized, Hey, we're struggling to get here. He's struggling, but we really need to get to this time station. So they stepped up and got me there and, and, uh, so that exactly they can do that as long as, you know, as long as we're following all the rules of the race. Okay. That's good. So what do you think are a few of the secrets to your success? Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, um, pretty motivated and I always have a pretty positive attitude. Um, and, and, um, so that's one, one key is, you know, the mental, um, a pretty positive person. So like, you know, when my crew hands me a water bottle, I thank them, you know, each time. And so I'm always trying to, you know, I'm trying to lift up my crew as they're trying to lift up me. So it's a, a good team of, of, of trying to do that and stay positive all the way across. So I, I think that's one of the reasons. And then, you know, I'm consistent with my training as well. Um, I ride all the time, every, every day, you know, and so when someone says oh, I'm, I'm tapering or whatever, I don't really quite understand what that is. I don't really taper, but I don't necessarily, you know, I do ramp up a little bit, but I don't, um, I just ride my bike. So it's, it's very consistent with what I do on a daily basis when I'm doing an event. So how long does it take you to recover from doing a Ram? Um, as a general statement, I'm out riding my bike, uh, you know, a week after Ram, but to, uh, fully, fully recover to where I'm feeling really good. It's probably a month. Um, and then if I really want to do a race and go really fast, it can be a little bit longer. I, I found I've done a couple races, you know, a month after and like, I'm good. And then about a hundred miles into a race, it's like all of a sudden my body just says, ah, we're done. And then I, you know, fall off. But, um, I would, I would say it takes about a good month to feel like I have my speed and power back after, after Ram. Um, the first, first two were harder than it's been since then. Okay. Now, do you have any special mantras or quotes? Uh, you know, um, my dad has rammed this into my head since I was a little kid is, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. And I, <laughs> I always say that and he'll say that to me. Um, and you know, he was, a, was a Marine and he went through Dale Carnegie training and, you know, Zig Ziglar and all of these. So, so I hear all those quotes. Um, and then one of my buddies who always sponsors me is a runner and and we've done a couple races together. His specialty was running, but he'll still get out because he likes to compete. 
and he'll always say one time and and it'll be like one time come on give me one time <laughs> so i always it'll be the middle of a race and it, my effort's struggling and i'll say one time like and i'm talking to myself and you know and and i joke about it because it's not one time it's like a hundred <laughs> one times that i need to finish but it's like you know for that second or moment it's like all right focus you know it's a way for me to kind of refocus if my mind wanders or whatever it lets me refocus on on the on the race so i'll say that uh once in a while so that's awesome so and in closing basically i i use the hashtag my miles are four as a kind of way to reinforce why i do the things that i do um if you were to finish that sentence a couple words what would you say of why you do what you're doing uh i think it's my miles are for life you know it's it's how i live it's what I do, you know, riding, riding isn't really like training. It's, it's how I start my day, right? It's what motivates me to go to work every day to do everything in life. And, um, so I, I would say it's, it's for life, you know, it, and it's, it's a pretty standard routine for me to go out and ride. Um, I ride to a coffee shop, I get my coffee and uh, yeah. pretty standard, same deal. I'll get about the same thing I eat there and then I'll finish my ride home. And, and, um, I need that as part of my everyday routine to, to make my life better each day. So it's important. Uh, so I, I would say, uh, my miles are for life. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, um, I do have another question. So about Ram, uh, I know my friend that's done it, like I said, they've done it twice as part of a, a team of four. And I know it's fairly expensive because one, you have all your crew, you have everything else. So do you obviously you have sponsors that, um, for your event? I, I do. Um, you know, I'm one of them, so it yeah. does cost me money every year. You know, it's like my summer vacation, um, <laughs> is I go do Ram and I spend money to do it. What I do, I get some corporate sponsors, um, to help a little bit. And then, um, I, I started something in 2005 for my race, just randomly, we started a time station sponsor. So there's 55 time stations across the country. And I asked when the first year I did it, people said, well, how, I wish we would have known how we could help you. Yeah. So we created this time station. I get a hundred dollars per time station. So that's $5,500 I get for that. Um, however, it turned into something that was filling up really fast. So we created two time stations okay. for each time station. And then we've created different spots along the course. Um, so, um, what we would call scenic areas or, or special, monuments of occasion that we have. And then we charge a little more for those spots and people are more than willing to help out. So I get, you know, when I'm doing the race, I have a community of, you know, 200 people that have committed money, um, or their time or their effort to raise funds for me to, to go race. So they're all part of that team. Um, and I found that's a way that lets me, you know, raise enough money to do the race every year. And I, I work on a pretty small budget compared to a lot of other racers. Um, as well. Um, and, and, you know, when we did internet of things, I was working with IBM and I would go do some presentations for various clients of IBMs. And I was making some money doing that, which all went to the racing too. Um, so, so I've been able to, to do that and, and cover the cost of the race. For me, it's about $20,000, um, each time I do the race. Um, it has, I've, you know, I set a budget every year and it's a little less than that. And it's yeah. usually over that. So it's cost me more as well. Yeah. But, uh, but I've been able to, to raise that money. Um, yeah. You know, I think being in business by yourself for 25 years 
people have come into your shop. They know you. I'm part of the community. I do stuff for the community. It's made me give back a lot more to my community as well because they've supported me when I've asked for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. That's why I think they've, uh, I think it was close to 30 for the team of four that they had, they had said, and then they went and raised money each year. They found a, uh, a charity, one was for hospice and then another one. So they were able to raise raise some funds as well in the process. So I, I just think it's a, a, a great event. And I saw, I think I saw somewhere that, uh, people raised close to $2.6 million uh, for charity, I think, at, on a, probably on average for the Rams. So I think that's incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, both the, and the teams are a lot of the times the ones doing that fundraising. The solo racers are there really to, yep. to race hard and, yep. and they've got so many of their own expenses, but uh, the teams are doing an unbelievable job. And and actually in, in 2015, or I'm sorry, 2005 was my second year doing the race. Yeah. There was a guy from uh, uh, Canada, Kevin Wallace, and he was raising money for cancer and he raised about a hundred thousand dollars for cancer. And his goal was 200,000. And he also owned a bike shop and he finished the race and he, he felt bad because he didn't raise that much money. And he, he had a customer come in and, and say to him, Hey, you did a great job in that race. And I know you were trying to raise money. And he handed him a check. Ugh to make up that difference. So basically gave him almost a hundred thousand dollars to to reach his goal. So, so to me, that's pretty amazing too, to go out and race really well and raise that much money. So yeah, people do some great things. That's awesome. Well, Dave, uh, that's all I have. I thank you so much for spending the time with me. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure to, to be with you. And it's nice to, nice to meet you. And I'm going to go check out a few more of your podcasts now. So, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to gain some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I believe his biggest strengths are his consistency, motivation, and his love of cycling. He demonstrates how despite working 50 to 8 hours a week as a business owner, he is able to fit exercise and cycling into his daily routine. He states he does not understand the word taper because he will typically bike to and from work. Depending on his day's mileage, will adjust his start time to get in the required distance. He has learned to incorporate yoga and strengthening into his routine to reduce the risk of injuries, and his use of a coach for RAM allows him to stay on track with training intensities. His use of technology in the form of the Internet of Dave is incredible. That technology enables him and his team the ability to manage the weather conditions and his medical condition throughout the race and to make adjustments to increase his ability to succeed. Sherbeet's winging it. He demonstrates that if you are willing to put in the time and focus on just riding your bike and allow those around you to help you, you can accomplish some pretty amazing things. Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey, people are sick.